You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good morning, this is Pastor John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast, and if this is your first time here, we're so glad that you've joined us. Uh, We're two friends that love to get together to talk about the scriptures and God and theology and Jesus and life, and we have a good time doing it. Uh, We usually sit around with our coffee and our Bibles, and we imagine that you are listening in to our conversation. And today, it's a beautiful day in Phoenix. It's our first time that we are recording outside. So this is a new thing for us. And before we get started, I want to say hello to my good friend, Reverend C.L. Mitchell. How are you doing, brother? I am well. I am well. It's good to be together. It is good. In this beautiful weather in April. In April. Now, we were in Arizona. This is like, you know, the start of This is unheard s- of. Summer. I am almost <laughs> persuaded to believe in global warming. <laughs> <laughs> global climate change. I'll take it if this is what it means, oh, you know. Bye. Well, we, we thought we'd record outside because it's such a nice day outside. And uh, we haven't recorded in a while. And, of course, we're practicing social distancing. So you are at least six feet away from me. So I, I believe we are. That's we, good. We are not recording with masks. We are not, but that's okay. I, I, I'm. We'll, we'll be. Uh, we'll, we'll try to be safe on that. Anyway, hey. So, um, anyway, so we are gonna have a, a good time today. We're gonna talk about some scripture, and uh, speak to um, what's going on in the world. And there's a verse of scripture, a passage in the Old Testament. I think we're gonna, we're gonna look at and talk about. And um, if you want. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, do you want to read it? Do you want me to read it? I'll read it. Okay, I'll, I'll read it. So you, you normally ever, read our scriptures. I normally in the scripture read. I'm, I'm good for something around, <laughs> around here. <laughs> no, we don't want to break with tradition. <laughs> we don't want to break with tradition. That would throw everyone off. Oh, it's in the book of Isaiah, and in Isaiah 41, it says this: "Do not fear, for I am with you." Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Wow, what an encouraging verse. I don't know about you. I have that underlined in my Bible, Mm -hmm. which means I've read it before and has spoken to me. But do not fear. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a timely word, though, I think. I don't know about you, in light of everything that's going on in the world. Um, this is a timely, timely world, uh, timely word, rather, for uh, believers and uh, those who, uh, who claim the Lord as their Lord. So let's talk about this verse. How about you? Let's talk about it. Uh, John, first of all, uh, the relevancy of this particular verse. Yeah. 
could there be any more apropos verse for the circumstances that are going on in our world? Yeah. And I think this suggests something to us. If, if we are looking at this passage, um, we are going back 2,700 years mm. to be refreshed by eternal truths. Amen. Isn't it, is, just, just, just to interject, no matter how old God's word is, it's fresh as, a, as if he spoke it yesterday, as if he's speaking it to us today. To, to, to go back one chapter. Yeah. And to hear Isaiah's description mm. of the relevancy of God's word. Chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. The grass withers. Yeah. The flowers fade. When the breath of the Lord blows upon them, surely the people are grass. Right. The grass withers. The flowers fade. But the word of our God stands. stands forever. Yeah. And this, as well as many other facets of God's truth, become reminders that in an ever-changing world, God's word is ever relevant and unchanging. You know, it's funny because sometimes people get frustrated, you know, you know, with 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 God or um or even his word and say, well, you know, this was, this was to the, to the Israelites back in, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in some distant land. And I don't, I'm not there. I'm in America. I'm in 2020. And the word of God, it speaks to the human condition. It speaks to the human heart to, you know, okay. So maybe they, they, they walked everywhere. We drive everywhere, but we still have the same. We still have things that cause us to worry and doubt. There you are know. certain human commonalities with which every ethnicity, with which every time period has wrestled, maybe some to a different um, uh, degree. There are those individuals who are saying, oh, th this has never occurred before, uh, quarantine, etc." Yes, it did, yeah. with the bubonic plague or the black plague. Well, go back to the, to the plagues in Egypt. Egypt. I mean, you had, you had all kinds of crazy pestilences there and everything else. You had... You know, we had all that going on. It's interesting how, how as human beings, we tend to think that we've progressed, you know, because we have silent science, we have good medicine, which are gifts from God. But you can't, we haven't progressed in certain things. Yeah, when, when, when the Bible speaks, Hebrews chapter 12, we need to realize that God speaks historically. God is speaking the primary means by which God speaks is his word. But God also speaks in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25, 26, 27. God also speaks through shaking. Yeah. <clears throat> he speaks through cataclysmic events. Yeah. When man fails to hear the voice of God through the normalcy by which God speaks then God can either will directly by means of decree or indirectly allow certain things to happen that shakes up what can be moved yeah. or what is movable in order to remind us that our hope is to be in that which is immovable. Yeah, I think that's a good point because oftentimes we, we get to a place in life where things are predictable, things are under our control, you know, everything is going because we think, you know, we, we're mankind. 
God, it doesn't take God, but much mere time, moments. mere moments, just to change that, <laughs> just to, just to mess up that whole equation, um, and to remind us that, you know, life, life is is, um, it's not, it's it's not immovable. Let's say, um, as much as we try to prevent things from happening, you know, as much as we try to, you know, um, be responsible and have control we actually have no control of our lives and i think that's the whole point is ultimately the whole control of our life is in god's hands and you're right there's there's god can at any, any point introduce something that messes up our whole um way of looking at life and how how we think that we're i mean it's almost like we've raised ourselves to the level of god mm-hmm. and god sort of says no let me just <laughs> you, no, you're you're man, and you're cre- you're a creature. You're not the creator, and I think um, I think that messes with people. I don't know about you, but you know, then then it sort of is a reality check and say, well, things are out of my control. That means I'm not in control. Well, no, you never were in control. I don't know. It just yeah. this whole thing with the when when that which God does fails to humble us, that which God can do can result in our humiliation. Yeah. And and we have to see to it as the author of Hebrews argued that we do not fail to heed listening to God. Yeah. And and the idea is not just a listening. Oh, okay. That's nice. God spoke just like any other person. Right. No, 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 no. no. When he speaks, he's in a category all by himself. And so we are to give adherence with the intent to do all that the Lord says. And so I think these moments are moments that that necessitate hearing how God is speaking and what God is saying to us amidst um, um, our attentiveness and amidst our desire to know not what the news channels are saying. They they are saying the same thing, yeah. and the numbers are going up, and the numbers are going down, and and the 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 lines are getting longer, and the demand is getting greater. Now meat is under threat, right? And, yeah. And so many things, you know, and um, um, the the desire to to become desperate is is at hand. Yeah. Uh, for people that are wrestling with uh, anxiety and. And phobias of all kind. I mean, yeah. I'm sure that that's heightened. I, I, I make well, yeah. no, 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 um, uh, no slighting, or I'm not being dismissive of that. But, but right now, if you want to be terrorized, it's present. Right. And there are various reasons for that. But the question is, what does God have to say about that? Yeah. And what is God saying in the midst of all that He's doing? You know, let me just interject something, CL, is I think as believers, sometimes we get the notion um, that as believers, we will never encounter things that are fearful, things that would never cause us to to experience um, questioning of our faith or wondering, you know, why are we... In other words, the, the notion that that once we're believers, we won't face things like this. And it's almost as I as I talk with believers... It's almost like they're shocked that we're experiencing like, like this wasn't supposed to happen, you know, 
And I think, you know, in reality, as, as believers and unbelievers are going to face the same things. And you look at church history, you have all kinds of uh, examples where people in the church were encountering plagues and pestilences, and they were getting sick as, as well as unbelievers. So the question is not whether or not we're going to face those. It's how do we as, believer, how do we as believers uh, face those trusting the Lord? And I think partly, I think, I think God allows things like this to sort of not shake in our faith, but sort of refine it because we find out what we really trust in. We find out what, who, who are we really holding on to. And, um, and I think to believers, I think uh, all the more this is an opportunity for faith to be demonstrated to the world that's to a, to a lost and dying world. And so anyway, so. Yeah, to restate what you said, John. Yeah, you have a better way of saying things, you know. Uh, I, no. I, <laughs> I should just be quiet. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the phenomena of the life of the believer is not that we are always protected from the common ills that humanity faces. Right. Instead, the clear distinction is with whom we face it. Right. Which informs the how that we face it. Yeah. Yeah. And the outcome of our having faced it. Yes. So the fa- so the facing in I guess in one sense the facing is an opportunity for the believer to demonstrate the power and presence of God to a, to a world that is looking for that, you know. Um, yes, we would like to have a life um, where there's no problems, where there's no nothing to fear, but we don't have that right now. Um, that's not been promised to us. What's been promised to us is that God's word never, never changes and God remains faithful. And, uh, and these are, I, I want to call them lab experiments, you know, by God, um, opportunities uh, for faith to be demonstrated and refined. And, um, and I think especially among Christians, I, I know a lot of Christians are fearful, just afraid. And I was talking with one the other day, and, and I said, well, the Scripture says, now, obviously, all of us wonder, God, where are you at sometimes? You know, a lot, all of us go through the stages of, why am I going through this? You know, and we like, do we do something wrong? Am I being punished? Am I being judged? But, you know, but I, I you know, the, the, the Psalms, you know, it says that in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, Psalm 139. That, yes. in other words, you and I have been ordained so many days according to God's plan and God's, and we will not be taken out one day short of God's ordained time time frame. And so we can live. We we can. I can. We can walk in rest and, and live in peace, um, knowing that that He has our our life in His hands and our days are according to His plan. Now, of course, I want to, you know, we want to, you know, be healthy. We want to have a good quality of life on all that, make good choices, you know, with how we live our life and everything. But we don't have to fear that something's going to take us out before God's timing or God knowing about it, you know. And I think there's a, there's an opportunity there to, to trust the Lord. And, and I know among believers, boy, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear even among believers. And so I hope we can be encouragement today to um to our friends out there, our brothers and sisters. I think that this is where we turn to this Isaiahic passage. Isaiah? Yeah. 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 Um, 
you know historically, as I do, uh, what is intriguing to me is that various um, academic peers have thought of this section as the Deutero-Isianic Second section. Isaiah, yeah. yeah uh, second Isaiah. And um, their idea is that the back end of the book is so apparently different than the front end of the book. Right that they would suggest that there must have been an original Isaiah. Right. And then there must have been someone writing in Isaiah's name. Right. Later on. And later, some people hold to a third Isaiah. Yes. But of course that doesn't, but you know, CL, you know that doesn't take into consideration that of course the message in the first part of the book, the first 39 chapters, one of warning, right? It's like God is able to speak appropriate to what is going on. Mm-hmm. So here he's warning them. Now, He's speaking to people who have already encountered the the the, uh, the re, not the rebellion but the um, deportation and everything else, the judgment. And so now he's speaking appropriate to those people. Yeah, it it would seem that there's something about prophecy all, uh, as well, John, within the framework of scripture, and that is that when God speaks correctively, He always includes hope. He always message to the audience. That's just the nature of, and that's uh, just uh, as a side note, the nature of Old Testament prophecy is not just predictive. You know, it's foretelling versus forthtelling. All of the the prophets, when they spoke these words, were it was meant to elicit elicit a, a response, hopefully repentance in in one in the one case, or comfort in another case. But yeah, it was always any warning was always followed up with hope. So yeah. So, so it's my conviction that this is one in the same Isaiah who is the author of the first 39 chapters. I agree. Um, uniquely as well, you know that with chapter 40, uh, we begin the servant songs. Yeah. Um, that, that look forward to God's ultimate servant, namely the Messiah. Jesus, yeah. And in chapter number 41, as I recall, uh, this is not simply a word from Yahweh to um, his chosen people, but it seems to also be an invitation to the goyim or to the non-Jewish the people, to the ethnos or to the nations, yeah. as it were. So he opens up in this text by doing something um, interesting. Um, in chapter 41, verse number 10, you have, uh, just to mention some of the technicalities, I think, and, and you know this well, John, I mean, he introduces this particular verse in a series of couplets. Right. Um, right. Do not fear, for I am with you, and do not anxiously look about or do not despair, uh, for I am your God. So do not fear matches, uh, do not anxiously look about, right. for I am with you matches, for I am your God. So you could also refer to it as a progressive parallelistic structure. Yeah, that's a Hebrew um, technique. Uh, yes. Yeah. It, it's actually, he says one thing and then he progresses the thought or teases out the thought even further in the second section. And he gives the reasons for, do not fear because I'm with you. Absolutely. Do not anxiously look about you. Yeah. I think I'm intrigued. I, I'd like to start our discussion here. I think I'm intrigued by this. He's very imperatival insistent mm. yeah, he gives yeah. a command yeah. to something that we're told in psychology that you cannot necessarily command right he commands what appears to be an emotion right 
Well, you see that in other parts of Scripture, though, too. Absolutely. You see that in the Philippians where he says, Paul says, rejoice. And they kind of said rejoice. Both words are commands, imperatives. Commanding a, an emotion, commanding a what? You know, do not fear. You can make a decision. Yeah. Yeah, it seems a little bit odd because in psychology, what we're taught is that there are facets of fear. First of all, there's the biochemical nature of fear. Right. Right. That that is a fight or flight response, and that's a very human reality in all humanity. Right. Um, if there is a certain um, danger or trauma, it results in a biochemical response that says danger, right. remove yourself right. or respond here. to it accordingly. Right. Then there's the emotional. That's why when I when I go for runs, I look for rattlesnakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always on the. Yeah, I'm just telling you, you know, there's something that has rattlesnakes. So I yes, it does. I run on the road and I'm looking, scanning because if I see one, I'm gonna flight. <laughs> I'm gonna take flight. And if you thought Superman was fast and running, <laughs> anyway. Um, by the way, may I just stop and say? I, um, <laughs> To our listeners, uh, he doesn't know I'm going to say this, oh, no. but it just came to my mind. Uh, would you please pray for John? He's he's um, gearing up for a marathon, and tomorrow you're in, yeah, if COVID-19 doesn't prohibit that. But you can run six feet <laughs> distance I can. from the person that's in <laughs> I can. <laughs> or you could be the pack leader and make sure can, everybody is I six feet behind you. I can run a marathon you. by myself. It's, it's, I hope it's not canceled. It's in California at the end of May. And oh, boy. And I have to run 18 miles tomorrow, so oh boy, I get to have some anyway. Yeah, so pray, social pray for him as time. you're thinking about that, and <laughs> yeah. and cheerlead him on. Uh, that would be something great for some of our listeners, and <laughs> just to remember that he's going to run that. So send him some encouraging messages. Uh -huh. That would be cool. Then there's the emotional aspect, which goes across the scale. Right. Some individuals enjoy the surging of their emotions. For instance, they'll go to a fair and ride extreme rides right. because they enjoy the, f the, the rush. delight, the yeah. rush, the adrenaline of fear. Um, but then there are those individuals who are not given over to that sort of personalized fear as much as they are given over to um, terror, yeah. fright. Yeah. And so in, in both cases, um, given the circumstances, it seems rather odd that God would speak and command our fear. Right. Um, and, and so it really does beg the question, how can God do that? Particularly since... Because he's God. He knows the biochemical aspect and the emotional aspect. Right. And, and I think it, it's really this, John. I think God commands our emotions by commanding our choices. Because your emotions follow your choices. That's very true. That's very true. Your emotions follow your choice. So you can get up in the morning and say, <clears throat> this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And your emotions can defile your decision. So your, your emotions can follow your decision to fear or not to fear. Absolutely. Or to be joyful or not be joyful. Or to trust or not to trust. It's interesting how we usually have it backwards. We usually follow our emotions to make our decisions and not our decisions to be subservient to our, our emotions to be subservient to our, to our decisions. 
That's interesting. That's that's different than how the world thinks and how psychology thinks. Or maybe psychology has learned learned this. I don't know. But it, it's it seems that feelings are such a strong uh, navigating tool in our lives, so to speak. Listen to the to the um, <clears throat> to the introduction to most millennials' sentences today. I feel like right. Yeah. I've seen this, I mean, I'm not a millennial myself, but with people I know who are of that generation, um, it is all about feelings. And so if, you know, if they, and follow your heart, follow your feelings, follow, it, it makes for a very unsettling and unpredictable existence, I guess. I mean, I don't want to put anybody down, but it seems like your emotions First of all, they're not very accurate indicators of truth and reality. I mean, I mean, there's a, I mean, when my dad was, uh, um, years ago, he was learning how to fly. And, you know, when they, um, when they test you to become like, say, instrument rated, mm. they put blinders over your, they put these shields over your eyes and all you could do is look at the instruments. And even though you may feel you're going up, your instruments may tell you, no, actually, you're you're declining, and vice versa. And your instruments have to be objective and separate because your feelings can they can lie to you. But so much of our generation attaches so much credence to feelings that it, it's no wonder that we have a society that lives in such anxiety and fear, you know. And uh, and here God is saying, do not fear. I think he's able to say that because God can command the choice and the focus of the believer. Yeah. It is through who or what we focus on that we are able therefrom or thereby to make informed choices. Yeah. And and so the, the, the threat is oft the believer's focus is wrong so our choices are wrong so fear ensues right it, it's the result in this particular text he he imperatively or by way of command or insistence says you love that word imperatively <laughs> <laughs> okay he commands he insistently <laughs> says do not fear or fear not. Fear not. N now, now, I want to give a larger canonical framework, right, to this this command to not fear, because this command joins its brothers in Scripture. Right. Um, some have noted that there are 365 commands in Scripture that say, "Fear not." Right. Now, I'm not going to suggest that that's one for every day of the year because, of course, we're working off of a different calendar than the Hebrew calendar. Hey, that but, was it worked, more so hey, but it works out. Yes, it does. <laughs> that was more so 10 months rather yeah. than 12 months, yeah. right? But here's what I do want to say. If we were to go with it by calendar, there's more commands not to fear then in the ancient Near East than there are days in the year. Yeah. The, the idea is Scripture is replete with God saying do not do this, which is interesting to me, John. <clears throat> if God is giving you a command, yeah. to break the command is a sin. That's strong language. Yeah. That, that's that's yeah. strong language now. 
Um, um, and I want to be very careful about that because I'm not dismissing the biochemical aspect and I'm not dismissing the things that we could be afraid of. But again, if our fear is rooted in a lack of biblical focus yeah. and a lack of biblical choices, we are then sinning by our refocus and by our choice not to yeah. obey God in this case. You know, the first time it, it, the word fear is used in Scripture? Mm. In Genesis. Genesis, when God goes looking for Adam and Eve and, and, and God's calling out and he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. This is Adam talking. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So this fear because of sin. But the next time it's used is now by God to Abram. And he says, do not fear. I am a shield to you. And the focus is do not fear because I am with you. I will protect you. I'll be your shield. And the, the, the cure for the fear is the knowledge and vision of God as being one who's there to help you and one to bring you through whatever time you're going through. And and either you can focus on the fears or you can focus on the God who's over those fears. And the result is if is if you focus on the God who's over the fears and experience his presence, then no matter what you and I face, though, now here's the thing, every time there's something fearful, our tendency is to want to look at that and want to take a look at it and sort of look at God and say, well, what a, Lord, what what do I do here? This thing is very scary. And God still says, I'm with you. you I think know? that's so important, John. What you've just mentioned, I'm, I'm just going to restate it in, 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 a, in a different way. What you've just introduced is the law first mentioned hermeneutically. Right. Whenever <coughs> something is mentioned for the first time, uh, it has great importance within Scripture. But when it's mentioned for the first time, whatever you see it in, there's going to be some modicum of that in its usage throughout the whole of Scripture. Right, right. Um, the, the, the general canonical etymological aspect of, of fear in Scripture has three nuances, basically. One is awe. Right. Reverence and respect. Um, that That's very important. But the first time we see, as you just said, fear mentioned in the Bible, it is that which is produced as a result of disobedience and to God. Of sin, yeah. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, which which sh- would suggest in the Genesis narrative, first chapter, fear is not mentioned. Right. Second chapter, <coughs> fear is not mentioned. Right. Third chapter, in the abnormality of the man and the woman's life, fear is introduced. What brings about this fear? Their opposite stance to God. Right. Uh, it, it, that's where there's a healthy fear. Right. Well, yeah. Because any time that we are standing in opposition to God, we have a right. In fact, it is encumbrant upon us to be afraid. Right. If you're walking around with glee and joy and happiness, I, I want to remove the word joy. If you're walking around with delight, when you are standing opposite of God, right. something's wrong. Something's wrong. 
but but when you're looking at the the concept of fear again etymologically you have um, um, this go on I, I just wish to interject something but I'll let you finish your sentence because you just I'm just no, no go ahead it. go ahead because you just said something that's interesting and I think I just want to piggyback on is here in the in the in Genesis three where I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself I was afraid because I was in a stance now that's oppositional to you and disobedience to what you had said, right? And so there's this fear, this health, this this healthy fear, right? It, it just makes me think of when Jesus comes on the scene and there's a demon-possessed man. The demon said, with fear, they say, are you coming to destroy us, Jesus, before the time? Mm-hmm. They understand that they are in opposition to Jesus and to God. They are They are opposed to one another. If you're a believer and you are in Christ and you are trusting the Lord, you're no longer in opposition to Jesus and to God. No longer is it, I am afraid in that standpoint, then you stand with Jesus or he stands with you, which is what Isaiah now is saying, do not fear because I am with you. There's this difference in why you should be afraid. If you're in opposition to God, yeah, you better be afraid. But once that, that has been rectified, does that make sense? Absolutely. So then oftentimes we as believers, we, are, we fear things because we think, it's, we think somehow God, that, that we're not standing with God or God's not staying with us in facing that. And so there's this, um, this perspective that's off. I, I love that idea. Yeah. L- let me tag Let's that tease idea it out a little bit. Of, of the perspective that's off. Yeah. Um, to give a second picture of the canonical view of fear yeah, in yeah. Scripture, right? Um, Matthew chapter number 14, Peter is uh, on a boat with the rest of the yep. disciples. And uh, Jesus has sent them uh, on, the, on the water to go ahead, knowing that a storm is going to come. Right. Jesus engages in a time of prayer as he was often known to do. And in uh, the fourth watch of the night, uh, Jesus uh, uh, walks on the water as though it were cement. Right. As though it were land. I love that. And, and as he's walking, they see the figure. And, of course, at a distance, they cannot necessarily make it out with clarity. Some feared that it was an apparition or a ghost or something of that sort. But when there is a clearer image, uh, the voice of Jesus rings out, do not be afraid, it is I. Right. And of course, the, the bold one, Peter, speaks up and says, Lord, if it's you, wh- where he got this idea, I'll never know. Right. But it is phenomenal that he says, then bid me come. Right. Uh, Jesus uh, engages with him and says, come. And, and Peter steps out again on the water as though it were a walkway right in in coming to jesus but then here's where the grammar kicks in the bible says and seeing the 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 wind winds and the waves right right now what's interesting is um this is not aorist he began to see this is a present active participle which tells well, us it, he became frightened uh, no no and seeing and seeing yes seeing. it's yes. a present active participle um, um, and, and that which is, is very good. Which That's impressive. You had Stop that from memory. That, don't Stop that. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking up the Greek right now and you're quoting. That's impressive. Don't do that, man. Come on. We're, We're going to call you Yoda from now on, okay? <laughs> Master Yoda. He remembers his, his Greek <laughs> you are present active participle. 
Anyway. Okay. <laughs> See, we're having fun out here, okay? Yes, we're talking we about are. the Bible and have a little fun here. Yes, we're. The, 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 the thing that gives us a clue to what really happened was, John, um, if you're a human being and if I'm looking at you right now, right. it's impossible unless something is wrong with my scene for me not to catch my peripheral. Um, in other words, while I'm looking at you, right. I can generally see what's going on on the side. Right. That's not this text. No. Believers are not oblivious to what's going on around them. Right. Um, the second thing is, if a loud noise or some bang or something were to happen whilst you and I are outdoors here, it, it's not inconsistent with human nature that we would turn our attention to it to see what happened. So that's not what's going on here, right? And just to, just to, just to interject, it's not to say that it's that that we as believers are to ignore the existence of the winds we're and the waves. We're not imbecilic. We're not unaware, and we're not ignoring them. Right, right. Right. Here's what happens: the text would seem to suggest, by the grammar, that 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 Peter was fastly looking upon Jesus mainly. Right. And, and the wind and the waves were to his peripheral. Right. And, 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 and that when a gust came, it might occasionally draw his attention. But the present active participial nature here suggests right. that he had turned his attention from Jesus. And what was in his constant view was now the winds yes. and the waves. Yes. And so that produced terror or fear in him. Right. And, and, so, and so what we see in the framework of this text is, again, when something that you are in the middle of draws or veers or invites your attention away from Jesus as your main view, right. then that produces fear. Right. That's a focus problem. Now let's, let's, let's switch it back now. Because God now gives you the cure for that. Yes. He, he says in Isaiah, do not fear. Purpose clause. For I am with you. Do not fear. Attention on the fear. For I am with you. Attention on the presence of God, the witness of God. Yes. It's a, the cure for the fear is your attention, directing your attention back to the God who is ever present, who has never left you, never forsaken you who's able to handle the, the winds, the waves, the viruses, and all that kind of things in life. So it's a directive, do not fear, command. Why? For I am with you. Where's your presence? Where's your, where's your focus on? Just the antithesis of what Peter experienced on the, on, on, the, on the lake there with Jesus and the winds and the wave. God says in Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. Yeah. John, there's a third aspect of, of fear in Scripture. Um, Jehoshaphat shows it to us in Chronicles. Yeah. When a pressing army is upon you and it lends to a yare or a fear, fear. that is so terrorizing that you are, you are debilitated to the point of paralysis. Right. You literally can't move. So, so, so three concepts of, of, of fear in Scripture. Awe and reverence or respect. Right. Fear God. Um, yes. Right. Um, um, the concept where where you are you are distracted and misdirected. Right. 
and the concept where your misdirection, misdirection results in a paralysis, right? Where you can't move and go forward in life, right? And, and here God says in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse number 10, he says, I command you not to be afraid. Right. And, 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 and I think that he's commanding our choice and our focus. It, to state that in a positive way, I command you not to be afraid and not to lose focus. How, God? I command you to not do that in lieu of my witness. Right. right. It's the witness of God, the presence of God that brings solace or comfort to the believer who would perchance. Yeah be terrorized and paralyzed or be misfocused and misdirected here's the question that i that i have john it, it begs the question is the witness enough to satisfy the concerns of the believer that's yeah i'm challenged with that that's a good question can we be satisfied and and maintain and sustain Knowing the witness of, of our God. Can, can God be enough to set at peace my biochemical responses? Yeah. Can God be satisfying? Can he be rich and, and, and enough for me where my emotional proclivities can be calmed just because I'm in his presence? Listen, and by the way, this is not foreign. Right. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What, what does he say? I will not fear. For you are with me. Here's another uh, verse that came to my head. Psalm 16. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Yeah. That's, I mean... The witness of God, the realization of, of God's presence. And we think about, you know, when we were children or when your kids were young, um, the tendency to be afraid when mom and dad are running around, let's say, or where's mom and dad to make sure mom and dad's okay, you know, um, that the continual reassurance of God's presence in our lives the security of the God's security presence. of that, yeah, the knowing safety of God's presence. Yeah, I mean, I remember when when we were kids, um, getting lost, and uh, my brother got lost one time, mm. and of course, when you when you're a child and you you don't see mom or dad around, you know, then of course there's this fear. I'm in trouble. I'm in danger. I've been. I'm. I'm I'm vulnerable, but to know that that the God that that we serve is always with us, that ought to be bring great reassurance. And it's the, I think it's almost like a daily decision or affirmation to the believer to say, "The Lord is with me," right? Because we forget that, you know, in our, and maybe not you, but a lot of us, no, we, we forget, forget that. that. We forget that, and our eyes do become distracted onto the problems of the world, the problems we can, we can get so unsettled by what we focus on. 
and forgetful that that the winds we see are nothing compared to the God who holds those winds in his hands, you know? Mm, that's so rich. And and we can get troubled um, by what we see on the news, by what we read on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, social media, and everyone's, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and it's like, well, where's your God? John, can I give some very practical notes just here very quickly? When the news is in the peripheral and God is in the main, it's okay to listen to it. Right. When social media is in the side view mirror and God is in the main front view mirror, it's okay to, to, to interact with it. Right. But when the roles are the, or the mains are reversed and the news is in the main and God is in the side, when, when the focus is on what's being said, yeah. forget COVID-19. At any time, for any reason in life, if, if, if God ever starts to move from the place of priority, that's where fear is bred. Yeah. And, and, and secondarily, remember that there is a transitional testamental promise Jesus says, now this promise is only as good as the person who made it. Right. And of course I realize that it is uh, in connection with the Great Commission, but it seems to be an extraordinary comforting promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. By the way, those two words are, are different pictures. Right. Number one, I'll never abandon you. Right. But the concept of forsaking you is, I I'll never go so far ahead of you that you'll be so far behind that, that, that you'll lose track of me. Right. And, and I'll never let you go so far ahead right. that, that I lose track of you. He promises this, and his promise is only as good as his character. And here's what I have to say. We have 66 books who would suggest God does not leave or abandon his Amen. people, Amen. even when they seem abandoned worthy right if he didn't leave the children of israel when they treated him the way they treated him if if he has not left us and our forefathers when we've lost focus on him you sir or ma'am have not done anything to disqualify yourself from the presence of god the witness of god is our promise and it is our security so that with that security, we are bid to make a choice right. not to fear. You know what he says um, back in Isaiah? He says, do not fear if I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I'm your God. Then he says, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. And I'm just, um, that word for strengthen is a word that can also mean to sort of to harden the heart but I think it gives it sort of to to strengthen the heart the emotion that can happen with fear the dejection the the feeling of you know sullenness and everything like that because of fear God says I will strengthen you I'll yeah. make it so that when you do see the winds and the ways of life it will not affect you emotionally it will not affect you to the point where you become um um, disheartened, let's say, 
I will strengthen you in the sense I will strengthen your your heart. I will make you strong. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. I, I, I like what you just pointed out, John, because the first couplet, do not fear because of or as a result of the witness of God. Right. And the second couplet, do not anxiously look about you. One translation, mm. do not despair. Right. One translation, do not be dismayed. Right. But notice what he says. This is where the progressive parallelistic structure comes in. Whereas before he says, I am with you, now he says, and you're with me covenantally. Yes, I'm your God. <laughs> it's, 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 I, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not generally present. Right. This is particularity or specificity. Have you forgotten that we're in relationship and there are covenantal benefits to being your God? Well, this, what, what does the scripture say too? If, he is, if we are faithless, he, is, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. himself. I love that. I, you, you, know, you know what's interesting, John, is the terms that are used concerning God are important within the framework of the context that they appear. Right. Um, You'll notice that in the Genesis narrative, that in the creation narrative, we see Elohim, Elohim. which is this word, right, right uh, for God. And, and there is stressed the power of God, right. um, the raw, creative power of God. But when man comes on the scene, when, when God is speaking about let us make man, right, verse right. 26 of Genesis chapter number one, right. the language concerning God starts to switch a bit. Right. You, you have Yahweh Elohim, right? The, the Lord God. The Lord God. Right? Now, what's interesting is when you go to Genesis chapter number three, when, when this serpent figure starts to refer to him, yeah. he drops the relational name. Right. Hath God really said? Trying to, qu- trying to focus less on the relational part right. and focus more on the powerful part as though the power were distant for the rela- but, from the relationship, right? But isn't that what the devil does to you? It's totally what he does. It's like he doesn't have you focus on, on the thing that really matters about God, about his faithfulness, his goodness, his presence. What, what intrigues me in this text is God himself does not use the relational covenantal name here. Right. What God, and of course this usage would, would, would allude back to its original employment, right? right. And the covenantal name is Yahweh. A- absolutely. Right. But what he seems to do here is he says, hey, you know all of that raw power that created the heavens and the earth? Yeah. You, all, you know all of that, 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 that power that, that speaks in the language of bara, right. something out of nothing, right. ex nihilo, right. Latin, right? right. Th- this concept is, remember who you're in relationship with. Right. You are in covenantal relationship with the God who is all-powerful. He's on your side. He is God Almighty on my side. I, I, think, I think the progression is phenomenal because it's don't fear because of the witness of God. Don't be in dismay or despair. Don't get distracted because you're in relationship with God. And then notice the personal pronouns right. that he gives, which are, which are statements of promise. Right. Y- you just pointed out, I will strengthen you in the New Testament, right? right? In Philippians, there's this interesting picture. Paul says, in a, in a different context, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me but but and this is the god of the almighty god who provides yes, you strength yes but the picture there john is not an external cloak 
of strength. Right. It's the picture of a divine infusion. It's a strength that is foreign to your natural strength. So God says, left to yourself, you'd never be able to make it through this. Right. But I will give you a divine infusion, a shot. There will be a foreign introduction of the strength of God so that whatever you were dealing with on your own, you will no longer be left to your own to deal with it. See, now just to piggyback on what you're saying there too, because here we have a God who is God Almighty, who is in covenant with us, which means that whatever problems we face, things that would cause us to fear, he's able to handle, which means he also gives us his strength, which often what happens is this. We look at, we, we read something on Facebook. We, we read the news. We become fearful. Why? Because we then look to ourselves for our own strength to be able to handle that. And we'd become we fail because we're like, well, I can't handle this because I don't have the strength to deal with this and that. And then before you know it, you are overwhelmed. Why? Because you're looking to yourself for the strength that God says, wait a second, I'm with you. Where's your eyes? On me or the problem? And if it's on the problem, where are you drawing your strength from? From me or yourself? And what happens is that if you, if you look and you look at the overwhelming things of, of the things of the world, sickness, virus, all kinds, everything goes go around the world, and you become dejected or overwhelmed. Yeah, we're, we're, that means you're you're looking to who for your strength? Yourself. To, to yourself. You, you, you're looking for the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps doctrine. Right, and of course, you and I on our on our own would not be able to handle the the weight of the worries of this world on our own. Right? But here's Peter looking at the winds and the wave, right? While mean, meanwhile, the God of the winds and the wave is walking on the winds of the wave. John, question. <laughs> you know? Who would you be more afraid of? The wind, the waves, or the person walking on the water yeah. in the middle of a storm? Right. The, the, so you see what I mean, right? And it's it goes back to it goes back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, great king, you know, our God will save us. Even if He does, we will not bow to you. And without fear, they they get thrown into the fire. And of course, here comes one like the Son of Man, who's who's an angel, or you know, probably Jesus in pre-incarnate Jesus being with them. They're not afraid, and that's the point. Is our God is able to supply the strength because he's almighty God. He strengthens your heart. Says, I will strengthen you, surely I will help you. I will supply that which you cannot produce on your own, mm. that which you cannot produce. It has to be supernatural strength that comes from a supernatural God that's over and above all that stuff. No wonder God says, don't fear. Look to me. By, by the way, John, before you can take full advantage of that strength you've got to admit your inability H hey peter yeah. listen listen i know you're a pretty capable guy it's recorded historically that at one time he pulled about 162 fish to shore yeah by himself capable guy strong guy i i know peter that you have a a a blade and i don't really think you cut off malchus um uh, the high priest servant's ear accidentally right i think you're good with the thing yeah right so i know that there are certain things that you've told yourself i can handle this but what would make a peter be afraid 
when you look in the face of wind, there's a clear message. You can't handle that. Right. But by the way, when you look at the waves and the water, yeah, you can't handle that. By the way, that's not foreign just to scripture. That's the concept of ancient Near Eastern histories, right? In the Gilgamesh epic, the Atrahasis, the Enuma Elish, right. the waters and the winds are that with which the gods wrestle, right? but not our God. Right. He comes and he speaks and he says, here's your boundaries and no, far, uh, no further. He actually um, um, stops the swelling pride and the foam of the, of the ocean by putting boundaries on it. So that which you and I look at and we say we can handle, and that which we look at and we say we cannot handle, right. God walks on it. Right. God is not stifled nor stymied by it. He has control of it by a word. You know, he says, he says this, he says, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you mm. with my righteous right hand. And I just love the scene is not only does he strengthen you sort of within your heart to, to be able to emotionally and just be able to, um, to deal with what you're seeing, but here's a picture of somebody who's now who's taken you and he is sustaining you and he's walking with you I, carrying you through oh john i am i will uphold you with my righteous right hand his strong arm is his right hand oh listen come on now oh, you're messing with me right because because first <laughs> preach, of all preacher. he says <laughs> no 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 not now first of all he says uh, surely i will help it's it, as i recall it's it's a definite marker, so it's ak. It it's, is ak. It's surely right. It's surely and, yeah. And so he says it is with certainty or. Do you have photographic memory? Stop. Because I got my Hebrew text open right here, man. You you got the ak a little bit. <laughs> you need a Kleenex for your ak. <laughs> he, he says yes. He, he is says, surely. He, he does says say with certainty, and you have two oxes, as I recall in the text. Uh, um, uh, uh, surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you. Yeah, Th there's yeah, a repetition yeah. for the yeah. sake of emphasis there in the text. So he says, it is with certainty or with definiteness that I will help you. But this word help yeah, is the word etzer from which we originally see. First time we see that word is when God says, it's not good for to man, man to, to be, be alone. alone. Yes. I will make for him an etzer, right? But we also see it in the Psalter, as I recall. I will look unto the hills. From Where will my yes. military aid or relief come from? That, that's the concept. One who comes alongside as an aid to see to the fulfillment of purpose and one that comes alongside as a military aid and refresher. Which, which, which just to, again, piggyback on what you're just saying, that is, implies something. Oh. That implies the ability of that aid to help you through what you're facing. Or, or, or like the old preacher would say, he's able. He's able. He's able. Surely I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous. I will support you. I will hold you fast. I will carry. Uh, yes. So, so the picture of upholding you. Yes. Is, is, is the picture of militarily surrounding you. Right. It's, it's the picture of placing a firm grip on you and about you 
with the goal of getting you from point A to point B right. safely. Right. God, God says, God says, first, I'll give you a divine infusion. I'll give you a strength that is foreign to you. Second, that he, say, he says, the Calvary is coming. Yes. I will aid you. And thirdly, he says, I will surround you. I'll make sure that the angels of God are encamped about the righteous. Do you, do you notice th something here in this text that, that you, it's probably an obvious thing, that when God decides to help you, it's not like he's sending some, uh, some, some oh. low. He sends waves of help. Yes. It's progressive. It's, it's progressive, but it's, it's not just, you know, I'll send you, you know, you know, I'll send somebody a spare tire, so to speak, you know, to help you. No, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to uphold you. I'm going to help you. It's like this waves of, of when God decides to send in the troops, so to speak, you know, yes. when he gives you, when he gives you his strength, it's not just enough to get by. It's over. It's, it encompasses everything else you will need. You know, it's not just, I will make it so you're not disheartened. I will make it so that I'm going to be with you to carry you through and to uphold you and to, and to lift you up. It's going to be actually more than you actually you thought you needed. It's like God is over the top when he sends help. Mm. John, not only is he over the top when he sends help, this terminology, this, this marker, ak, has a legal significance to yes, it. Yes, it does. It, it almost carries the weight of the amen, amen, or truly, truly. 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 It, it's, it's a legal testimony where God is saying, it is with certainty that I you will take do it, these things. You could take it to the bank. Surely, oh. surely, surely. Oh. Do you know, it's, it's interesting. I think about in Jesus, in the New Testament, how Jesus reaffirms these same promises, right? Yes. Lo, I am, I'm with you always, you know. Even to the ends of the earth. He hasn't stopped being with us. He, I, even, even right now, 2020, whatever circumstances and situations you and I face, he's still with us. But by the way, John, may I just mention, your problem has a time marker on it. But his witness is eternal. Yeah. That's extraordinary. That's what guides our choice. Yeah. That's what commands our focus in this text. It gives us confidence. That's the invitation to the nation, and that's the invitation to the nations. Yeah. You can get in on that which relieves the believer of terror that paralyzes and of distraction. And what God gives as the answer is his witness. What Amen. God gives as the answer is a trust in his promises to strengthen, to come to the aid, and to surround us. And if that's not enough for you, I'm sorry. I have nothing else to offer you. But, but think about this. Just think, and I know we're, we're, we're going nice and long here, but think about this. If you are having to, if you were living in this world without the presence and witness and strength and upholdingness mm. of God, no wonder people are becoming overwhelmed and being disheartened and being anxious and being fearful. It makes sense. 
when you look at the news and when you look at, at what how people are caring ab- about themselves in great fear. But if you were a believer, mm. it doesn't mean you denied the existence of the fearful things out there, the existence of the winds and the waves, the, the pestilence, the sicknesses, all the troubles in the world. It doesn't mean you, you put your head in a in the sand and say uh, that doesn't exist. That doesn't, no. You acknowledge that, but you also acknowledge, but I think I got God. Yeah, faith does not disacknowledge problems or fail to acknowledge problems, rather. Faith acknowledges problems, but give a, gives a greater acknowledgement to the God who is sovereign over and in the midst of our circumstances. And what does it say to you about God who says, you're gonna face trouble right? You're going to encounter some hardships, but I'm going to be with you. And that means, that says something about God's goodness to the set that says, I will be with you. Yes. I myself will be with you. Why? Because you're going to need me to get you through. And if you're somebody that's not a believer listening to this, well, then no wonder that you're fearful and overwhelmed. Mm. But if you place your faith in Jesus, he promises to be with you. He promises to strengthen you. He promises to supply that which you lack. In fact, he supplies that which is supernatural to you and I that is not explainable. And he promises his very presence to go with you and to uphold you. That's a guaranteed promise from Jesus himself. And that is something that when you have Christ in your life, then no matter what you face, you have a God who is a conquering God, a God who is an overwhelming um, witness God, an overwhelmingly strong God, an overwhelmingly caring God. His name is Emmanuel. His name is Emmanuel. (laughs) God with us. Amen. You know, this this is this is so keen. The right hand in Scripture is symbolically indicative of the favored position. The right hand, also in Scripture, is the depiction of power. It is that with which God says. He will surround you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's an extension of the favorable character of God, which grants favorable protection to the believer. Um, I have a prescription for you if you're listening. I'm not a medical doctor, so I wouldn't have the right to write out uh, pills for anxiety. If I'm honest, um, just as an observation, I think there's a great deal of over-medicating today. I think there's a great deal of self-medicating today. I do think that there are biological, chemical deficiencies that can be spoken to, and, and we don't dismiss any of those. But I would suggest that where there are no biological, chemical deficiencies, the greater cure is not a visit with your psychiatrist. I'm not making 
little of that. The greatest cure is not a, a visit with your psychologist or counselor. God wants to give you this word for free. He wants to say to you that in a world that is topsy-turvy, that in a world that is being shaken because it can be shaken because it's frankly not eternal, he's speaking. And his word to you is, I am commanding your choice and your focus. As a gentle mother whose child is, is distracted by friends running about and noises and, and all sort of things, he, he, he gently and lovingly takes your cheeks in his hands and he draws your face back to his. And he says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about. Remember who we are to each other. We're in relationship. And then he says in great sternness, great depth, but great sobriety and comfort, my promises to you is that I'll make that facet of my strength that you need and the hour in which you need it available to you. It, it won't be your strength magnified. It'll be a divine infusion of the muscularity and power of God that is alien to human power. He says further, I'm going to be your military aid. When you look to the mountains, you'll see God coming. And he says, and what will be around you, I don't care what noises you hear, what will be around you is my hand. Last picture as we prayerfully leave you for today. When Moses' mother had the beautiful baby, and when she and her husband could keep him safe no longer, she put the baby in the basket. She put the basket in the river, but the river was in God's hands. There's no safer place for you to be than in the hands of God. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.